Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Self Made CEO. Okay, that's not the name of this podcast. Oh my God. If you're an OG, then you know this podcast used to be called Self Made CEO. Clearly, I am out of practice. But hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Self Made Mastery Podcast. My name is Adrienne Finch. I am your host. And this is episode number 87 The Truth Behind Why Habits Won't Stick and How to Get Them To. If anyone out there listens to the Armchair Expert Podcast with Dax Shepard, he always opens every show with, Welcome, welcome, welcome to Armchair Expert. I'm Dak Shepard. And for some reason now, every time I go to record this podcast, I just want to say, welcome, welcome, welcome to Self Made Mastery Podcast. But that's not my thing. That's his thing. Okay, anyway. In part one of this series, we learned how habits work. And if you haven't listened to that yet, then I highly recommend going to that episode first or right after this. Um, You can definitely start this and you won't be lost, but it's up to you whether you want to go in order. I mean, I obviously recommend you do, but again, up to you. So that was part one. We talked about the science of how habits work and really breaking down what the habit loop is. So today in part two, we're going to talk about how to create new habits, something that I'm sure a lot of you are always interested in doing, and more specifically, the two key elements that make creating new habits possible and make them able to actually actually be stuck to as in what are the elements that make new behaviors actually become automatic and permanent changes and then in part three which will come two weeks from now we'll discuss how to correct bad habits so you may already have some habits in your life that are not the best ones and We're going to talk about how to correct those. We actually can't eradicate those altogether, but we can overwrite them. So we're going to talk about that in part three and it'll all tie together and you guys will be habit building monsters. No, habit building masters by the time the three part series is done. So let's get into it. You're listening to the Self-Made Mastery Podcast, your ultimate guide to total transformation. I'm your host, Adrian Finch, and I believe wholeheartedly that anyone from any background can create and live their dream life. And the best part is, you only need one thing to start, your mind. So join me here every Wednesday on this transformative journey to master your mindset and unlock your greatest potential. Let's go. All right, y'all. How's everyone doing? I hope you're doing well. So we're going to get straight on into this episode. I want to remind you guys that all of this inspiration and all of kind of the tidbits and scientific research that I am pulling for these episodes is coming from the book that I'm currently reading, which is called The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business. So I'll link it in the show notes in case you're interested in reading it yourself. But yes, Today's episode is all about creating new habits. And more specifically, as I've mentioned, we're going to identify two key ingredients that are vital when it comes to actually turning a new behavior into a habit, into a permanent change that you actually stick to. Without these two things, the habit is likely to not stick. So I think this is a really interesting and important topic, and you guys are going to learn a lot. I know that I've personally had many, many, many failed attempts at building new habits in my life, and mostly the problem was just not being able to get them to stick, right? Like I do something for a while, the new habit, whatever it is, I do it for a while, and then eventually I'd go back into my old routine, but I couldn't figure out why. Like I was just so unsure 
why I wasn't capable of sticking to new habits or sticking to something that I want to do. I wanted to make all these changes and yet I felt like I couldn't. And of course, there are so many ways to build habits, right? Not just one way, not just the way that I'm going to talk about in this episode. Um, And I actually have touched on some of those other ways in various podcast episodes in the past, like habit batching and habit pairing, um, both of which are strategies that I found tremendous success with. So I'll try to link some of those in the show notes as well, some of the past episodes. But today we're not talking about a strategy per se, we're continuing to break down the science of how habits work. So what's actually happening in our brain? Because once we understand that, we will understand what needs to happen in order for a new habit to stick. And then we can continue to put that practice into action and actually create these and have them stick. So let's refresh our memories for just a second. Um, about kind of how the habits work, what we learned in episode one. So remember that in simple terms, a habit is a routine of behavior that is repeated regularly and tends to occur subconsciously. So essentially any behavior that is repeated enough times to become automatic is a habit or becomes a habit, right? Locking the door when you leave the house, turning the light off when you leave a room, putting your seatbelt on when you get into the car. A lot of these behaviors are pretty automatic. You almost are not even thinking about doing it at all. It just happens. The second you get in the car, you put your seatbelt on. And we talked about the habit loop which explains how those habits work and how they became automatic. And we talked about what those three elements are, the cue, the routine, and the reward. So there's a cue that prompts a routine and ends with a reward. So in the seatbelt example, like closing your door could be the cue that you automatically just grab your seatbelt and click it in, right? And the reward is you start to drive or you are safe or whatever it is. Now, we can identify certain habits in our lives that have formed using this model or using this model I guess I should say we can identify certain habits in our lives that have formed and whether we intentionally formed them or not they exist like the seatbelt thing like you might not remember when you actually built that habit of putting your seatbelt on but you know that it's there at least I hope it's there (laughs) so this is something that definitely takes practice the actual identifying of these elements I'm still working on, you know, actually being able to identify the cues of certain habits that I already have. For example, like sometimes, you know, you have a habit, but you're like, what is the cue? Or like, what is the exact reward? (laughs) And like I said, being able to identify these does become important when we talk about how to create new habits or how to get rid of or change bad habits. So it's definitely a good exercise to occasionally try and identify these in any one of your daily habits. So just think about your life, think about something that you feel like happens pretty automatically, you don't have to think much, and try to identify what the cue is, the routine, and the reward. All right, so now we're going to say that we want to create a brand new habit, right? Because that's what this is all about. How do we take what we've learned and what we know about habits, and how do we create a new habit? How do we make it become automatic? And more importantly, how do we actually get it to stick? (laughs) Um, And Part of the whole thing is that once it becomes automatic, that is it sticking, right? So really essentially the struggle is not just having it stick, it's that it really isn't becoming a habit. We are just implementing a new behavior, but something is going wrong along the way where it's not actually becoming that automatic habit. So that's what we're gonna identify today is why is that happening? So let's say we wanna create a new habit. Where would we even begin? 
where would we start? Well, we know how a habit works. We know that it's a habit loop. And so in essence, we need to identify a cue which will prompt the routine or habit that you want to insert, whether that's exercising, eating healthy, waking up earlier, whatever it is that you want, you know, the change you want to make, that is the routine or the behavior that you're going to insert. So we need to identify a cue which will prompt that routine or behavior and then that routine or behavior must then provide a reward. So we're going to create an example so that this is very easy hopefully to understand. I invented an example and I feel like I feel like it might work, but you guys let me know. So maybe the new habit that you want to form is working out, right? Exercising after work. You don't have time in the morning to exercise, so it has to happen after work. And you've wanted to, you you know have a goal of being more in shape, you want to feel healthier, you want to be stronger and able to carry you know heavy things and whatever the reason is, you really want to work out after work. And you've tried to, in fact, and maybe you have done it once or maybe a few times or maybe you've done it for a couple weeks, but for whatever reason, it just never actually sticks. It never fully, fully, fully sticks. And more often than not, you just end up skipping the workout. You know, 95% of the time, you just go into whatever routine you usually do and you just don't do the workout. So we're going to break down what's actually happening here. Like, why is this happening and what can we do differently to actually create, you know, the, the habit that sticks? How do we turn this into a real, automatic, permanent habit? So the first thing you want to do is identify potential obstacles. So just ask yourself, why isn't it happening? Just get very broad for a minute. Why am I not working out after work? So maybe you realize you're just so tired after work, right? It's hard to have the motivation to go exert more energy after we just had an entire mentally or maybe physically draining work day. So then you want to ask yourself, can we solve that problem? And while sure you may be able to you know get a bit more sleep or drink some coffee in the afternoon like there might be a couple things you can do to be less tired after work but it's likely still a given that you're gonna be tired after work right that may just not change work is tiring and it's important to note that with habit building it's often not possible to change the circumstance right it's inevitable that you may just be tired after work But you can still create a habit that happens automatically despite that obstacle or circumstance. So in other scenarios when often the key is identifying the obstacle or the problem and solving it, we're actually kind of creating a workaround here because often the reason that doesn't work is because the circumstance that's, you know, not allowing the habit to form is not really that changeable. You can't change that you have to go to work. You can't change that work is tiring. So that doesn't mean, though, that you can't still create a habit a habit that happens automatically despite that, okay? An example for this real quick, like, I am not a morning person, okay? I'm just not. And I've accepted that I will legitimately never be a morning person. It's just not how I'm wired. And I never have been, not since I was a little girl. But... I've hacked my brain and created the habit of waking up early, which, by the way, is something I literally never thought was possible. And creating that habit didn't just miraculously make me a morning person, right? I've learned to appreciate mornings and waking up early has had so many benefits, which is why I wanted to start doing it and why I wanted to build that habit. But at my core, I still don't thrive that 
you know, in the morning the way actual morning people thrive. So, you know, I didn't try to eliminate the fact that I'm not a morning person. I still was able to build a habit and, you know, how I got there I is in another episode on habit pairing, but I can talk about that again later. But, you know, there are tactics to creating these automatic habits. It doesn't mean that you need to, you know, change or solve the circumstance that you're currently in because that's a way harder undertaking. It is near impossible for me to actually just be wired differently, right? You know, that would take so much more effort or for you to not be tired after work. Like that's very hard to actually accomplish. So there's a way easier angle to being able to build a habit that you stick to despite the challenges. You see what I'm saying? So we do want to identify the obstacles, not so we can necessarily eliminate them, but so that we can create a workaround solution. So let's say in this example, right, we've identified that being tired is a factor. So you examine what you actually do when you get home rather than working out. You're clearly not doing the workout. You're not making that a habit. So we're examining what are you doing? right? And maybe you find that you immediately plop on the couch and turn on a show or you go on Instagram or whatever you do to feel a sense of relaxation because you're tired and you just want to be comfy and relaxed and turn off your brain, right? And that is the reward that you crave, feeling done for the day, done with work, done with stress, done with, you know, the things that are making you tired, which clearly is not really working out, right? (laughs) Working out is another thing you have to go do it requires energy and physical you know exertion etc so you've examined you know what are the circumstances what are you doing instead of this new habit and maybe you recognize that once you've given into that relaxed feeling once you know you're cozy your shoes are off it's almost impossible to peel yourself off the couch and actually go do something that requires more energy and willpower right you've already gotten into that relaxed mode How are you going to get up and go do something else? So you've kind of identified that that's near impossible. So the solution here is clearly you need to work out the second you get home before you even have a chance to give in to the relaxation of not being at work anymore, right? Before you get to even go plop on the couch, get all comfy, you I'm sure have experienced something in your life where it's like, ooh, once I do X, it's too late, like... I know that's exactly how I operate. So so you kind of realize putting two and two together that in order for this workout to happen, it's going to need to happen the instant I get home or even better yet, like on the way home, like maybe going to the gym straight after work. Um, That way you avoid even the opportunity to like get into that relaxation mode before you've done the workout. So back to the habit loop. If working out right when you get home is the routine or the habit you want to build, see how we got more specific. So instead of just exercising, it's exercising right when you get home from work or, you know, before you relax. So if we've identified that as the routine, it's now up to you to create that habit loop. So first, we need a cue that will trigger the routine. So something that once the habit becomes automatic will actually just trigger your brain to start engaging in that routine. So Maybe it's something you see or something you hear or an action that you do. So for this example, maybe you start putting your workout clothes and shoes right by the front door. Like when you leave for work in the morning, you lay them out right by the front door. That way, when you walk into your house, before pretty much anything else can happen, you see the workout clothes and shoes on the floor and it's an immediate cue to engage in the routine. So, you know, you see the stuff, you're like, all right, time to work out. And then 
the workout happens. Now, remember, it will take repetition for it to become automatic. So at first, you need to remind yourself that you set those clothes out there for a reason, right? There's going to be like tons of times that you're like, I just don't want to. You need to remind yourself that you set those clothes out for a reason, that you want to make this change, you want to feel healthy, and that the reward for doing it is being able to relax and be done for the day. So the reward of doing the routine is actually the same reward, that same feeling of relaxation you've had when you've skipped the workout and plopped on the couch right away, that relaxed feeling. It's the same reward, but this time without any accompanying feelings of guilt or feeling bad about yourself for not exercising. You get your workout done, you get to plop on the couch, and the reward is you feel relaxed, you are completely done for the day, no more responsibility, no more like exertion right you'll feel accomplished proud you know and super super relaxed so after enough repetition of this new habit loop that you just created is when the habit becomes automatic the second the brain recognizes the cue it just automatically engages in the routine so enough repetition and simply seeing your workout clothes or you know opening the front door or literally driving on your way home will automatically cue your brain to start the routine though Now what we're going to get into are the two necessary other parts to this equation and these happen to be the two parts that really help make it actually stick. This makes it so much more foolproof than just creating the habit loop, right? Because maybe some of you have, have gotten there and it just still won't quite stick the way you want it to. So we'll get into that in a second. But we're back at, okay, you set the clothes out by your door, right? That's the cue. And maybe you decide that the routine that follows is you'll grab the clothes, you'll walk immediately to the bathroom right by the front door, you'll change, and then you'll walk out the door for a quick jog around the neighborhood or whatever it is before you can even literally think about doing anything else. So you're completely like wiping out that possibility. You see the clothes, you put them on in the bathroom right there and you're out the door. Or better yet, you just bring them in the car. You don't even go inside, but whatever it is that you want to do. So, you know, maybe you start thinking of it as an extension of the workday, just one more meeting, but with yourself. And then, like we mentioned, the reward is that when you get back, you're done for the day. You're ready to relax. You're inserting the healthy habit immediately after you get home in order to avoid accidentally getting too relaxed, where it's now very hard to get up and go run, which is what was happening in the past. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's all very you know fun and sounds super logical right but it definitely doesn't end there if you're anything like me you may have already tried something like this several times and it makes sense you have a plan but then no matter what the new habit just won't stick for more than a couple of days or weeks and eventually one day you just lack the willpower and just plop on the couch to relax and once you do it once it's game over right and this is the same reason alcoholics aren't supposed to have even a drop of alcohol because then they will slip or can very easily slip into the old routine because that one cue is all it takes to go right back into the old automatic routine almost without thinking. Your brain just sees the alcohol or, you know, tastes the one drop and it's game over from there. So the new routine will feel almost impossible to become automatic if you kind of 
you know, let it slip once or twice. And by the way, I'm not saying like you can never let anything slip. I just mean when you're trying to create the habit, like when you're training it to be automatic, it's very important that you actually do it repetitively and don't let yourself slip back into that old habit. So the first thing that is absolutely vital to making a new routine become a permanent habit is craving, okay? Craving is what powers the habit loop. A routine becomes an automatic habit once the brain quite literally starts craving the reward. And it craves the reward before you've even started the routine. That is the number one thing that powers the habit loop, that makes it become automatic, is that the reward is something that you really actually crave. And once you've done it enough times, your brain starts craving it and anticipating it before you've even started the thing, the habit. Think about your mouth watering when you see a donut or something sour. Like, you know, if you've ever had any type of food that makes your mouth water, then you know what I'm talking about. There's nothing programmed in our brain that makes you see a donut and automatically want it, right? Want a sugary treat like because you saw it. And by the way, I quote this straight from the book. But once our brain learns that a donut contains yummy sugar and tastes delicious and maybe even gives us a little sugar high, right? Once we've had a donut enough times to know, oh, this is what a donut is like. This is the reward that a donut gives me then it'll start anticipating that reward, that sugar high, that yummy taste before we've actually started eating it. (laughs) And that's why your mouth will water at just the sight because you literally are having a craving in that very moment. Like you are craving the reward because you see the donut and that is the cue immediately that eating the donut will give you the sensation of, you know, whatever it is, the pleasure, the taste, the the sugar high. And... (laughs) So it's pretty wild, right? Like honestly pretty wild that our brain will literally push us towards something. It'll push us towards the donut because it craves it. And if we don't eat the donut, we may actually even feel disappointed. So as you can see, this is one of the reasons that habits are so powerful and often like that they're hard to break. And it's because they create neurological cravings. At just the sight of the cue, you start anticipating the reward. And that's hard, of course, to then not satisfy the craving. That's why so many of us fall back into these other patterns because we're craving the reward of our bad behavior or our bad routine. You're craving the reward of relaxation so much that you give in and just sit on the couch, even if every single fiber of your being is telling you not to, right? And that's why so many people make terrible, you know, decisions sometimes because literally those cravings or temptations for those rewards become so powerful that they outweigh pretty much any other logic and that's scary kind of but it's also just really important and necessary to understand if you understand that this is happening it's a lot easier to break it or to you know recognize it and actually change your behavior And when it comes to creating new habits, it's important to know that most of the time these cravings emerge so gradually that we're not even really aware that they exist. And we can really be blind to their influence in both a good way and a bad way. Like I'm sure we never fully realize like what's actually happening when our mouth waters at the sight of something. We don't really understand the science of it, right? But it just happens. 
So these things happen slowly and after enough repetition. So you may not even be aware that it's happening, but that's why it's so important to stick to it and actually like tough it out and keep doing it so that you actually start developing that neurological craving for the reward. So back to our example in the running example, um, this will happen over time, right? You will develop this craving for the reward of relaxation and being done with the day. And that craving will be so strong that you'll start anticipating it just by seeing the cue and you'll be able to do it every time. Now you might think though, but I was already craving relaxation, right? Like before I had the workout routine, when I was just going and plopping on the couch, I was already craving relaxation, which is why I wasn't working out. So that, I understand that is very logical and there's some truth to that. But what you'll find, and this is the important part, is that even more rewards will come with the new habit, ones that you're not even aware of yet, right? So perhaps the endorphins you feel from running or working out, that will become a reward. Or maybe the sense of accomplishment and satisfaction with yourself once you're done, like being so happy that you actually stuck to this habit or that you accomplished something and that you toughed it out even though you were tired, like that sense of accomplishment becomes a craving. And once you begin craving those things, those rewards, the craving is powerful enough to ignore the temptation of skipping the workout. I'm going to say that again because that's the most important thing to understand is that the reason this works, the whole reason that you can overwrite bad habits and actually retrain your brain to start liking something that used to be hard or whatever is that once you've created that habit loop and you do it enough times that you, you know, crave, start to crave the reward that it gives you, that craving can overpower the temptation of whatever your old habit was. So those rewards are powerful enough and the craving of it is powerful enough to ignore potentially wanting to skip it. You're like, no, I would actually rather feel all of the good things that this thing is going to bring me. Even on days that you feel like, oh, I don't want to work out. Literally, psychologically, neurologically, your brain is still craving the thing enough to make you do it. I swear. So basically all in all a cue and a reward are not enough for the new habit to last right it's only when your brain starts expecting the reward ahead of time craving the endorphins craving the sense of accomplishment it's only then that it will become automatic to put on those tennis shoes and go for a run okay so i think that's freaking awesome and now I'm going to give you one other example that is a real true story example of a company that used the habit loop and the power of craving to become extremely successful and have a bajillion dollars in sales not legitimately but you know a lot of sales and so we're going to get into this example because I think it'll help paint the picture even further Okay, so this example has to do with a household brand that we all probably know and love, Febreze. I know I have so many bottles of Febreze in my house, but what's interesting that I learned in this book is what it took for it to become this actual household name and something that people buy regularly. What was so revolutionary about the Febreze product was that scientists had literally formulated this thing that would eliminate odors. I mean, what technology, right? Like actually you would spray it and it would straight up absorb the odor and get rid of a bad smell. So that's amazing. You're solving a problem, like a product needs to solve a problem. But what they found was that sales were still pretty low. And the reason why is because this wasn't something that people needed to use daily. It wasn't this habit that people wanted 
in their day-to-day routine. They would just use it when they needed to and sometimes forget about it. And so, you know, they'd buy one bottle and it'd last them like a year or six months. Not to mention the people that it mostly targeted were people who are smelly or have smelly houses or are dirty people, which by the way, they'd come to find out are the least likely to actually be aware of the problem and feel the need to buy a product to solve it. So basically over time, they were like, how can we turn this into something that's household every day for you know using all the time that becomes a habit? And they actually found through some research that certain very clean people would actually use it to finish the cleaning process, like a spray after making the bed, a spray after vacuuming the floor and like, you know, wiping the counter. It was like this fresh touch that kind of left the room smelling good as like a finishing touch of cleaning. So basically for those people that they interviewed, like these users of Febreze that would do it in that regard, which was honestly not what it was built for. It was built to eliminate bad smells, not to just like spray once a room is already clean. But what they found out through talking to them was that the smell of Febreze over time, because they were using it after they had cleaned a room, the smell of Febreze started signaling to the owner that the room was clean. So like it would just be that finishing touch that was a routine where almost the room wouldn't feel clean if they didn't smell the Febreze. It's sort of the same way that when you go to a hotel and you first walk in your room, you usually see the toilet paper folded in a certain way, right? Like hopefully you do, but that is a sign to us that housekeepers have come. And honestly, I probably irrationally think, you know, that means, oh, the room is 100% clean. Now, obviously a housekeeper could do the fold and not have actually cleaned very thoroughly, but it works the same way. It's still, no matter what, a signal to me that, oh, the room is clean because I see that, I know that means they were there. And in my brain, I'm like, that equals clean. So you'll notice in your own life, I'm sure, that we crave certain sensations that signal to us that a product is working, right? So that toilet paper signals to us that the room has been cleaned. Um, You know, if face wash or mouthwash sometimes like tingles a little bit, I'm not going to lie, it makes me believe that it's working. And I I know that they literally add chemicals in that don't actually change the effectiveness of the product, but give you this tingle and give you this sensation. And now that I have trained myself to equate this tingle with being clean, if I'm comparing two products and one doesn't have the tingle and one does, I might honestly think that the tingly one works better when really they're the exact same product. So that is entirely a marketing tactic that is feasting off of our desire and craving for certain sensations that signal to us that products work. So we've trained ourselves to need, or, or I guess want, that signal. So with Febreze, back to that example, they started realizing no one craves scentlessness, right? No one craves not having a bad smell. Yes, bad smells are unpleasant and people want to eliminate them, which is why people would buy the product, but that does not create a craving. That does not create a daily ritual of using this. So lots of people crave a nice smell after they've spent 30 minutes cleaning especially like no one craves not having a smell but people might crave a nice smell that's why we buy candles that's why we you know we like nice smells and so for those people that had started using it at the end of their cleaning routine it became something they craved it was the fun part of cleaning it signaled a job well done and that the room is now clean and it trained their brain over time that that means it's clean 
So basically Febreze took this and ran with it. They added sense to the solution and changed their tagline even from gets bad smells out of fabrics to cleans life smells. Like more focus basically on the cleaning element. So it became the air freshener for an already clean room versus the, you know, odor eliminator. So I just thought that was a super interesting kind of example of how cravings and habit loops work in business and selling products. And, you know, we always hear things like, oh, it's it's a marketing tactic. But to really break it down, I thought that was quite fascinating. Um, you know, how do you get someone to go from buying your product to regularly buying your product? Toothpaste, you know, like brushing your teeth is a routine. So you're getting people to buy constantly. Okay, so now you understand a little bit more about how craving really does power the habit loop and why that is a vital component to really making a habit stick. Now I'm going to finish up this episode giving a personal example of this working for me in my own life, of me creating a habit and actually you know, getting it to stick and realizing after the fact that a craving was cultivated and I think that is a huge part of why it has stuck. So I'm going to finish out with a little personal example. For a little context, if you didn't know, I played soccer like my whole entire life. So I was always exercising, but not having to go to the gym. I would just play sports. So by the time I got to college and basically beyond that, it was extremely hard for me to exercise. I didn't want to go to the gym. It was not a habit. I was unfamiliar with it. Fitness and exercise was always just so, so hard for me. But at the same time, I knew that I needed to so bad. I knew that I needed to be healthy. I didn't like how I looked, all these things. So when I first started like coming to terms with the fact that I needed to figure it out and like go to the gym, when I first started, you know, I got an LA fitness membership and I started working out. The reward for that was like, I felt better. I actually felt better. I was proud of myself for being disciplined and you know it felt amazing however no matter what i'd always fall back into old patterns like i'd be good about going to the gym for maybe two weeks maximum and then i'd stop for months and it was because clearly it had not become an actual habit i was still needing to use willpower and discipline every time you know i thought about getting in the car and going so it wasn't until i joined a gym that it was group classes and you guys know I've talked about this so much Basecamp Fitness my fave and where my boyfriend works and all these things but it wasn't until I stumbled across that gym and started going to group classes that I never fell off the wagon again and it's pretty crazy like it, it feels like too good to be true it feels like I don't even know how this happened, but now we are literally studying why this happened, right? Like sometimes these things happen. You're like, what? I don't understand how I went from like never being able to do this to all of a sudden I could. So I just want to kind of explain what happened because now I have so much more insight as to like why it truly worked. Like I said before, it took a lot of brain power and willpower that I had, you know, in a given day to actually make it happen. I had to motivate motivate myself to get up, get in the car, go to the gym. I had to learn about exercises so I could program what I was doing. I had to make sure to switch it up, whatever, all these things. There was so much mental just stuff <laughs> that I had to do. So much work involved. And honestly, the whole process was kind of exhausting. But still, I'd tell myself, like, I'm going to make it a habit. I'll be good about it for a couple weeks, if that. But then the cycle would start again. But with these group classes, All I had to do was show up. 
I could turn off my brain, be an autopilot. The coaches would tell me what to do and I just would execute it. The workout only lasts 35 minutes. It's highly effective. It's super hard, but it's short, which is super nice, especially for me who like hates going to the gym. Um, And all of those things were what got me in the door, right? So then what made it so that my habit of going to this new gym didn't just fall into the same cycle as every other gym that I had gone to? And I realized that it was actually the craving element. So in addition to the results in terms of how I looked and felt, in terms like In addition to that being the reward, I also met some of my best friends there. I had like this whole community of people going through literally the same struggles that I was. We were challenging ourselves every day. We were motivating one another. It was like, no matter what was going on in our lives, we paused everything, went there, sweated it out, felt good, bonded over feeling good, bonded over not wanting to go, like all the things. We started, you know, doing that. That was such a group sort of, energy and that was so powerful that I started craving doing it I started craving being with them being with the community and even on days when I had no motivation to work out I still showed up and almost like we would all bond over how like oh we don't want to be here but like we still showed up and it then it was just this positive feedback loop of like you know me then being proud of myself for showing up and then showing up more and being more proud of myself and like it was just all around this incredible experience that I started literally craving. And I might not even known in the moment that I started craving it, but I did. So even on those days when I like showed up but didn't want to work out, I may not have had the best workout ever, but I showed up. And I would literally crave the experience and the reward that that experience gave me before I'd head out the door. Like that's what would start happening. And that's what we're learning is happening with habits is that once you get into that routine, you actually are craving it before it's even happening. So that is absolutely what happened to me. It's not that you guys have to feel motivated and wanting to do these things every day. You're not going to feel that way. Like there are going to be so many times that you don't want to do it. But it's not about that. When a habit is automatic, it doesn't mean you're going to love it every time. It just means it's automatic. So it means you're going to do it anyway. You're going to show up. And that I will say was the biggest, biggest difference when it came to making this thing that used to be so hard for me a lifestyle rather than a chore or even rather than like something I disciplined myself to do. Like it actually just started weaving naturally into my lifestyle. It was a non-negotiable. I just... It went from being the thing that most easily gets pushed to the bottom of the priority list to an automatic part of my day no matter what, no matter how busy I got. I would literally rearrange everything else around this. And it's pretty crazy because literally old me would have been like, what? You're literally obsessed with going to the gym. That makes no sense. You hate the gym. But again, I created this habit that I craved. The rewards and the craving of that reward outweighed any other temptation to not go. In fact, when I would skip class, even when I really wanted to skip class, like I would actually be mad at myself. Now, of course, you know, sometimes I skip class and I'm not mad at myself. It's also healthy to take breaks. But the point is that the reward was powerful enough that I would crave it. And what I noticed too is that those rewards of going started seeping into my personal life too. And this habit of going to the gym became something that is called a keystone habit, which is a habit that when formed often creates kind of a ripple effect of other good habits or positive impact in other parts of your life. So for me, this ended up being a keystone habit. By creating this new habit that was hard before, I had finally proved to myself that I could be disciplined. 
I was constantly challenging myself and overcoming obstacles, which increased my self-esteem. You know, those were all happening at the gym. And then because of that, it made me feel more capable of doing challenging things in my personal life. It made me feel healthier and more like I had my life together. And, you know, like I was a real adult versus still stuck in my post-college phase of eating unhealthy and not taking care of myself well. And, you know, now... I'm obviously not saying going to the gym suddenly means you have your life together. You know, it was more about like what me creating this new habit proved about myself and then like the ripple effect that that had. Me viewing myself like that of, oh, I can handle this or I can handle this challenge. I can develop this skill. Also just seeing a transformation in your body is the result of small, consistent practice. You know, like I tend to be like an all or nothing person, but going to the gym taught me that, you know, it's better for me to show up 30 days out of 30 days and have half the workouts be not good workouts then go to four workouts and like do the best I absolutely can like you actually make more progress doing a very small amount but very very consistently as we've talked about before so basically I proved to myself that I could make a necessary change and actually like it and by sticking to this habit it helped me stick to other habits that I had a hard time with before and that's where the second necessary element in creating new habits comes in. I mentioned at the beginning there are two key, key parts. So number one being craving the reward and number two being believability, okay? I had proved to myself that I could do this and that faith alone helped me stick to new habits too. Like I really truly believed that I could make change in my life because I did it. Whereas before, as hard as I tried, I don't know that I truly believed I could because it kept not working over and over again. And like when we see patterns like that, it's, I don't even blame us for feeling like that. I'm like, I literally don't know if I can make this change because I've tried so many times and it keeps not working. So it was awesome when like it finally worked because I felt like it unlocked this whole potential for me where I like really believed that I'm capable of making these changes with my brain. Even now, like when I took a break with the podcast and I was struggling mentally, like I kept telling myself, Adrian, you know, it's possible to change back. Like, you know, this isn't permanent. You've literally manipulated your mind so many times now, like you've proved to yourself that that's possible so that this is possible again. So if you feel like you haven't had that aha moment yet of actually proving to yourself that you're able to make a change like this, I encourage you and beg you to just believe that you can. Like literally just the power of having faith that it will work will make it work. And I mean, I always say that in so many other elements that like your only job is to believe it. That's it. Like fake it till you make it if you have to at the start. Just put it out there into the universe that you have faith that you are capable of making these changes. Now, that was my personal story that obviously all of that, that whole like habit, you know, forming of me going to the gym all happened before I even started this podcast. So meaning I hadn't known as much about the power of the mind as I do now. And I now recognize, of course, that like I just said, the most important element in any change you want to make in life, whether it's creating new habits or manifesting, is believing change is possible. And that is absolutely key to making any habit a permanent change. Your only job is to believe change is possible. Now, if you do, if you're someone who like needs a little more logic or a little more proof in order to fully start believing something like that, I don't blame you. And there are ways to get that. 
For example, in the book, it mentions the power of groups as one of the best ways to create that believability. Seeing other people who it worked for, right? Having people to encourage you and keep you accountable. When people join groups where change seems possible, the potential for that change to occur becomes so much more real. Like, that was me at the gym. Like, when I started taking those workout classes, I saw the same people every day. I knew it became a habit for them, so I knew it was possible for me too, you know? And not all of them loved working out their whole lives either. Like, I think I used to think like, oh, well, they've always loved exercising. It's easy for them and it's hard for me. But honestly, I was so wrong. So many people were in my same position and they had also built this habit. So seeing that really made me believe like, oh, this is also possible for me. All right, everyone, I know that was a bit of a longer episode than usual, um, but there was a lot to dive into and I hope you guys found the examples helpful. I think it's, I know that like when I'm reading things, it's really important and so helpful to actually see real life examples. That's part of the reason I love this book so much is it gives so many real actual like scientific studies of companies and individuals and like real situations that have happened that prompted them to study more of these things. So I highly recommend, by the way, even though I'm literally giving you the cliff notes, so also you don't have to read it, but um, that concludes part two of The Science of Habit. So there's one more episode after this where we'll talk about bad habits. So how to actually correct bad habits and all about kind of how that works. So just to recap, today we talked, you know, about how to create new habits using the habit loop and realizing that two things kind of make it super possible to actually stick to the new habits and they're very vital ingredients. Number one being actually cultivating a craving for the reward. So having the reward be something so powerful and so good that it becomes a craving and that will fuel the habit. It'll make it automatic. And number two, the believability. Putting yourself in a situation where you truly believe that the change is possible. You have to believe it. It sounds cliche, but you have to. You have to have faith. There's a reason why, again, like the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, I think he was Christian or, you know, he was super religious in some way or another. And one of the things he always credits is like the whole time I just had faith that it would work. Like, I felt like I had like God on my side or I don't know what he was saying, but basically, you know, they did a study on a bunch of the Alcoholics Anonymous part, like members or participants, which is funny because it's anonymous, but so many of them said like, you know, a huge key was just believing that it was possible. Like having that group who also is there supporting you that also believes it's possible and having the track record of like this program having worked for so many years. So you got to believe it. You got to crave it. I'm super excited to, you know, dive into trying to apply some of these things to my life and try to create some new habits. Please let me know if any of you try. Go over on Instagram at selfmademasterypod. It's a little dead over there because it's been so long. People probably don't realize I'm back, but go say what's up. I'd love to like say hi, hear who's actually listening to the podcast. Let's chat and, uh, yeah, I'll see you guys in, or I'll, I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye-bye.